That's an older song. We haven't sung that in a while, but it's a good one. Amen. What a good, what a good thought. What a good promise. Amen. God will make a way. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, before we look into the Word of God, I want to just acknowledge a young couple that is celebrating an anniversary this Saturday. Is it 11 years? 11 years. Pastor Mike, Pastor Tara, happy anniversary. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. Amen. You're catching up to us. Praise the Lord. How's everyone doing this morning? Amen. Amen. You are prayed for. You are covered in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you open up in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 this morning, I want to continue a message that we began last Sunday, um, just a two-part message on the purpose of sufferings and trials. The purpose of suffering and trials. The topic of suffering has been discussed, dissected, and debated throughout history. Theologians and philosophers have wrestled with the issue of suffering. Why do good people suffer? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there so much suffering in the world? The reality is life has its fair share of Sounds like it's going to be a great sermon this morning. <laughs> but I think we can safely say that all of us can agree that uh, suffering is a reality. We have all experienced suffering, pain, tribulation at one time or another. Maybe, maybe even now we're going through a, a season, we're walking through a valley, and we're experiencing suffering and pain, and we have questions and we're wondering why. Jesus said in John 16, in this world, you will have tribulation. Paul wrote in the book of Acts, he said that we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. The question this morning is how do we make sense of it all? You know, sometimes life is like a jigsaw puzzle. Anybody like to do puzzles? Some of you? Um, I haven't done one in a long time, but my wife, uh, she started one recently, and on our dining room table, there's this puzzle, 550 pieces. I used to like the ones that were like 20 pieces, 30 pieces, you know, just kind of lock a few together and it's done. But when you get like 300, 500, we have a friend that was saying, oh, I do one, I do 1,000. Uh, piece puzzles, and she was just bragging. Um, but five, 550 is, is pretty challenging. Um, but box, you notice that, you know, you, you lay it out. The first thing you do is you flip them all uh, right side up so you can see, you know, the different pieces and parts of the puzzle. But that puzzle is all disjointed. It's, you know, all over the place and confused and, you know, it's lacking a cohesiveness. And, you know, it, and when you look at it and then you look at the cover of the box, you say, wait a minute, this doesn't look like the picture, right? You know, you got all these pieces and it just does not make sense. And isn't life like that sometimes? You might say a lot of times. 
But life can be like that where, you know, the pieces of the puzzle are separated, they're disjointed, they're all over the place, and you say, you know, my life doesn't look like the picture on the box. My life doesn't look like other people. You know, and sometimes, you know, you can look at people on TV or on social media, right, or Netflix or YouTube or whatever, and, and you say, you know, my life doesn't look like that. You know, especially when life is difficult, when you're going through a valley and there are trials and there's pain and there's suffering, and you know, as I was, I was thinking of this the other day, and as I was praying in my house, I walked by the table, and I saw the puzzle. And I, and I just got a little inspiration. I felt like, you know, that I was, as I was walking and praying, that as I looked at that puzzle, you know, I thought that, you know, what's the first thing you do when you're putting together a puzzle? You'd, you make the border, right? You, you, you frame it. And that, that helps to put it in perspective, and then you could begin to put the pieces together. Some of you are just thinking, i got to go home and get out a puzzle. I'm going to go buy a puzzle this afternoon. But that's the first thing you do is, is you, you frame it. You know, you assemble the border so that it can help you to put together the rest of the puzzle. What am I trying to say this morning? As followers of Christ... The first thing we do in life, in suffering and tribulation, is we've got to assemble the border. We've got to, we've got to move forward with a framework. How do we do that? What is the border? What is the framework for, for you and I as, as followers of Jesus, as people who believe in the word of God and who trust God? What is the framework? It is the word of God. We must start with the word of God. What does the word say about the value and the purpose of suffering? You see, when we get that, when we understand from a biblical perspective, we begin to frame life. We begin to put a border around it. We begin to understand how we can put the rest of the pieces of the puzzle back together. It helps us to process and it helps us to proceed forward to learn some lessons, to surrender to God, to let God have his way. So I want to ask you this morning, are you suffering? Are you in pain? Now understand, my pain is not your pain. Your pain is not my pain, but pain is still pain, right? Everybody suffers on different levels, and, and, and sometimes we can look at people and say, well, they don't understand, or, you know, they're not going through any pain because they look good, you know, they look like the picture of, uh, uh, of the puzzle, you know, uh, they look perfect, everything looks good, but all of us on some level or another are suffering some pain. We're going through a struggle, and so we look into the Word of God this morning, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we see a framework, we see a border to help us put together the confusing, disjointed, incoherent pieces of the puzzle so that we can see what life can look like. Amen? So what is the purpose of suffering biblically? Let's look at it in 2 Corinthians. I want to read all of the passage of scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. How many of you are there? Amen. How many of you are not there? We'll get there. Amen. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all, say it, all. He comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For the sufferings of Christ abound in us. Hello? The sufferings of Christ abound in us. So our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the suffering, so also you will partake of the consolation. Thank God. Amen. You know, the scripture in Philippians where Paul said, I want to know Christ. I want to know him in the fellowship of his suffering and in the power of his resurrection. You know, and, and sometimes you could pray that and you could read that and you say, you know, I don't want fellowship of his sufferings you know I want to know him in the power of his resurrection but when you're going through suffering then it's like amen you know I know him in the fellowship of his suffering now I want to know him in the power of his resurrection and it is both we can't have one without the uh, without the other you can't have a, a an Easter Sunday without a good Friday you can't have a resurrection without a cross and so the scriptures go on in verse Eight, and and this, is, this is critical because Paul gives us a glimpse into what he was going through. I love the relevance of the word of God. And even 2 Corinthians, um, many commentators, there's even a book that uh, is entitled, a uh, commentary entitled, Paul Opens Up His Heart. Because 2 Corinthians is very personal. He shares a lot of what he was going through and he connects and relates with the people of Corinth. And he says this, we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble or tribulation which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure above strength so that we despaired even of life. Now, that's a mouthful. There's a lot there. Paul is sharing. Listen to the, the wording and understand Paul is not uh, uh, exaggerating or using hyperbole. He's not in any way trying to impress them with, with, with the depth of his struggle. He's saying, listen, I want you to understand that we were burdened beyond measure. That word burden is uh, the, the word that's used of, of what they put on a, a donkey or an animal, a, a beast of burden, and, and it, it weighed him down so much it, was, it had an effect that it was crushing him. It says beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Verse 9, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. He thought he was going to die. Commentators uh, are not uh, in agreement as to what was going on in Paul's life. 
Paul doesn't specifically tell us. All he says is where it happened and how he felt. He doesn't tell us what it was. Could it have been, you know, the time he was stoned? Could it have been a physical malady he was dealing with? Could it have been the the incessant uh, persecution he was experiencing that was just wearing him down? We don't know. But he tells us that he felt like he was going to die. Anybody felt the burden and a pressure and a weight to the degree that you felt that it was overwhelming? The scriptures can relate, or we can relate to the scriptures this morning. We have the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death. Now he's testifying. He says God's delivered us, and he delivers us still. Does deliver us in whom we trust. He will still deliver us. You also helping together in prayer so that thanks may be given by many persons on behalf of of the gift granted to us through the many. So this morning, to use that puzzle illustration, we begin to frame, we begin to put the border together of our lives, of our suffering, of what we're going through, by first looking into the word of God. It's what frames our life so that we can begin to put together the disjointed, incoherent pieces of the puzzle so that we can gain wisdom this morning and understand that God uses suffering, God uses tribulation, God uses trials for the people of God. Isn't it true that we learn more when we're going through the valley than we do on a mountaintop? Amen. I wish I can learn my lessons on the mountaintop because I don't want to go through the valley. Anybody like going through the valley? No, amen, good, we're all on the same page this morning. But the reality of it is, we see in the scriptures, Paul suffered greatly, and he gives us three uh, purposes. We discussed last week in verse four, um, who comforts us in all our trouble, that we may be able to comfort others. So one of the reasons, and I won't take long with this, we discussed it last week, one of the purposes of trials is to be more effective in helping others. But I don't want to help Elvis, but as a Christian, you should, amen? As a Christian, that's what we're called to do. After we go through tribulations and receive the comfort of God, we in turn have an authority in God to powerfully minister to others. You see, God uses our pain, and in God, our pain is never wasted. It works in us, and then it could work in others. The person who has suffered the shattering effects of a divorce can best comfort a divorcee. The person who has lost a child can best comfort another parent who has lost a child. The businessman who went through bankruptcy can best comfort another person in the throes of financial disaster. Therefore, one reason God allows suffering is so we might have a well of experience deep enough to draw from it compassion and counsel to comfort others. Some of you might remember years ago, a woman by the name of Joni Erickson Tata. She experienced the diving accident that left her a quadriplegic. She, in turn, traveled the world, sat on the platform with Billy Graham and other ministries worldwide and she comforted hundreds and thousands of people who suffered physical disabilities because she herself had gone through it. 
You see, when you go through suffering, when you go through a valley, when you go through a trial and you come out the other side, God gives you an authority to speak. Not just words, but an, an anointing and an authority. We become like Peter and John in the book of Acts who said we cannot but speak of the things that we have experienced. Secondly, another lesson that we learn, another purpose of suffering is found in verse 9. Yes, we have the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. You see, intense suffering is designed by God to remind us of our dependency upon him. One of the critical lessons we see is we learn to trust in God and not in ourselves. You see, it is at the moment of our greatest trial in our tribulation that we become the most dependent. We remember that God is God and we are not. Listen, anything that causes us to turn to God and, lead, and lean harder on him is really a blessing in disguise. Isn't that true? You see, in the beginning, God created mankind. As God's creation, we were to be in a relationship with God, looking to him in loving dependence and loving trust of our creator. But what happened? Disobedience, sin, self-will broke down that relationship. You see, mankind, instead of being in loving, trusting, dependent relationship where a loving God cared for his creation, man sinned and rebelled against God and moved away from dependence to independence. To this day, man is living in independence. We hear it all the time. People say, I will live life the way I want. I will do what pleases me. I will do what I want to do. No one is going to tell me what to do or how to live. Most, listen, most of what we see on TV, on Netflix, on YouTube, on Amazon Prime, is that mentality. It's a mentality of independence. I run my own life. I do what pleases me. I do what I want to do. Nobody is going to tell me, not even God, not even his word. You see, when things are going good in life, when life is good, you know, you see those, that whole logo, that, that company that started many years ago, what is it, life is good? I saw a guy with that shirt on not too long ago. I says, really, you know, life is hard, but God is good. But you know, when, when, when things are going good, you're successful, you got a good job, good relationships, you got money, you got prospects, then you know what? We can skate along in this thing. You know, we can handle this. When life is good, but when trials and tribulations, and they will come. Job said, man is born for trouble as the sparks fly upward. 
It's just inevitable, he was saying. You see, all of us, God bless you. Salud. All of us can begin to rely upon ourselves. See, that's part of human nature. All of us, every single one of us, and, and, and I can guarantee you, you could, you could identify times and seasons of your life when things are going good, pride begins to rise up. I got this. Man, I, I, I'm, I'm cranking on all cylinders. I mean, my, my, my social media has is, is got it all going on. People are following me. Everybody is, is, is at my door. Everybody wants to know me. Everybody wants to hang with me. And when it's going good, pride creeps up. We see it in David in the Psalms. Listen to this, Psalm 30, verse 6. Here's David's words. Now, in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. David, the great David, he said, in my prosperity, he says, you know what, I got it going on. It's so good for me, I'm not going to be moved. You know what the next verse said? Lord, you hid your face, and I was troubled. God said, oh, yeah? You think you got it all going on? You got, your mountain is strong. You're not going to be moved. God said, I'm going to hide my face and see what happens. There was a king in the Old Testament, Uzziah. He was a king of Judah, one of, one of the few good godly kings. He reigned for 52 years, a long, prosperous reign. And the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 26, verse 5, he said, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. What a verse. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. And, and, and you, you could see all in, in, in 2 Chronicles 26, it says he defeated the Philistines. He broke down the walls of their cities. He even built cities in the land of Philistia. He went into the Philistines. Now, the Philistines, if you study the Old Testament, they were the, the, the enemies of the people of God for centuries. It was always, you know, it was the Red Sox and the New York Yankees. It was, it was the Giants and, and, and the, the Patriots. I mean, every year there was a battle. Every year, the Philistines and the Israelites. And you know what Uzziah did? He was so prosperous, he built cities in the land of Philistia. That's like Pastor Mike going into Yankee Stadium and putting up a Red Sox banner. <laughs> That's like going into the, to the New York Giants Stadium and putting up a Patriots banner. He did it. He put up, he put up banners. I mean, he, he, he brought uh, his fame spread to Egypt. It says he built the tower, fortified Jerusalem. He built towers, dug wells, much livestock. Verse 11, he said he had a, it said he had a fighting army that was a well-oiled machine. It was a big army. It was well-gunned. It was well-armed. Verse 15 says, listen, his fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped. I wish the story ended there. But verse 16 says he became strong, or he prospered until he became strong. Proud. He became proud. And in his pride, he attempted to do something that was not lawful. He attempted 
to infringe upon the ministry of the priest, go into the temple, and God struck him with leprosy. Now, why did he do that? We could argue, you know, the the, the logistics of it all, but the, the reason is because of his pride. He says, you know what? I'm so blessed. I'm so prosperous. I got it all going on. I can do what I want to do right now. God help us. You see, it could happen to any one of us. It's subtle. You know, you don't even have to be that successful. I've been in places in the world where people don't have a lot, and I've seen they've had, but they could be proud. People, you don't have to be be so blessed to be proud. You could not have a lot and still think you've got it going on and you're great. You see, the reason why we don't depend upon God more is because we believe the world's wisdom. The world's wisdom is diametrically opposed to God's wisdom. The world's wisdom is you can do this. You can be successful. You can pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps. I never understood what that meant, but it was a saying. You see, living by faith, trusting God, has become much more difficult in a world that has so much. I remember a missionary telling the story of being in an impoverished country and talking to the pastors. And, and he, when, when the missionary was leaving, he said, I, I'm gonna, when I go back to the United States, I'm going to have our church uh, pray for you because of all the suffering, of all the, the lack and all the poverty you're experiencing. And, 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 and the man said, the pastor said, no, we're going to pray for you. He says, because of all the prosperity you have, you're in danger of forgetting God. You see, we don't have to have faith a lot of times in America because we have so much. You know the Lord's Prayer? What what did the Lord instruct his disciples to pray? Give us this day our daily bread. That wasn't talking about just spiritual bread. That was talking about literal, physical bread. Lord, we need you to provide daily bread. Why? Because in an agricultural society, people were dependent upon God for the sun, at the right, in the rain at the right time, the seed, the harvest, the summer, the seasons. They had to they had to harvest it. You know, they had to believe God for a, pro, a good harvest. They had to harvest it. They had to process it. They had to beat the wheat. They had to, you know, move the chaff from the wheat. They had to make the dough. They had to bake it, and they didn't have a refrigerator. They couldn't freeze the bread to have it for weeks to come. So every day they had to trust God. Every day they had to believe God. There was no Costco, Walmart, Target. There were none of those places where you just go and, and get a few loaves and, 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 you know, we could have a refrigerator in our garage or a freezer in our basement for the, all the overflow of all the food that we have. You know, I wonder, as I was praying and thinking about this and, 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 I, and I think there's this, some wisdom here and could it be with the pandemic could it be with the chaos in our world is God driving us back as the people of God to a lifestyle of faith it's hard to have faith when you got a lot of money when you got a refrigerator full of food, when you got a job, when you, when. You see, 
God used, even in Paul, look what Paul said. We have the sentence of death in ourselves. Paul, the great man of faith. Paul, the greatest apostle that ever lived. Paul, the writer of half the New Testament. He said, you know what? We had a death sentence. And what was God's purpose? What was God's purpose in that? Look at it. So that, so that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. You know, when God, you know, when God puts you through some trials, when God tests you to your limit, what happens to you? It humbles you and it provokes you to seek God. You begin to draw near to God like you never did. The reality of it is all of us become prayer warriors and great intercessors when we're in dire need. And then when things are sailing, hey, wait a minute, I got this. I could do this. But God uses suffering. God used it in the great apostle Paul's life. If you read in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, because of the abundance of the revelations that I had, God gave me a thorn in my flesh. Now don't look at your husband or wife right now. Paul says, God, God gave me a thorn. God humbled me. Why? Because of the abundance of my revelations. Imagine, Paul the apostle, as great as he was, he had revelations. He was caught up into the heavens. He heard things, the Bible says, he said it was inexpressible. Imagine him coming back down. He would feel like he was walking on clouds. He, he would the, imagine how, see, human nature, the pride would have got in him. But God gave him a thorn. We don't know what that thorn is. There are 30-something conjectures by theologians. I got a commentary that lists 30-something different things that it could have been. Everything from a nagging wife to, to malaria to the persecutions. I mean, I'm telling you, they're all over the charts. But he says, God gave me these things so that I would be weak. So that in turn, I can be strong. Paul says, when I'm weak, then am I strong. You see, we get so focused on getting out of a trial, we fail to get anything out of our trial. There's nothing wrong with asking God to change our circumstances, but his primary objective is changing you and me. Amen? I want to just close with one last story that was just so fascinated. We heard my wife and I from a good friend of ours who's a believer, good Christian. She has a niece that she's talked to him about God a little bit, but never really went to church, never really read the Bible. Well, her niece was diagnosed with cancer. And she's going through the process of, of chemo and all of that. And so anyway, she, <clears throat> she texts my friend, and, and friend shared this with us, that she was in a Whole Foods grocery store. And she was there, and she saw these two gentlemen, and she was in one section, and they kind of made eye contact. And then she was in another section, and, and, and they just started talking. And the man said to her, can I pray for you for something? And she began to share her need. And the man just in the Whole Foods restaurant just laid his hand softly on her shoulder and began to pray 
for God's healing over her life. This girl, um, I believe she's in her th uh, 30s or late 30s, early 40s, had never really, like I said, been to church and been involved. She said she began to feel a warmth come over her body. God began to touch. She began to weep in a Whole Foods. She got the information after that. The, the, the gentleman gave her uh, the address and the name of her church. That Wednesday, she went to church. She walked in the church. She saw the gentleman in the foyer. Was, was glad to see him. She didn't know. It was a good-sized church. She didn't know if she would see him. She walked in to the sanctuary, a few rows up. She looks over, and she sees her primary care doctor, a woman. The woman calls her over. During the service, there's a testimony of, of, of a young boy who was in an accident who God healed. And so she begins to hear this testimony of healing. It strengthens her faith. What happens? She begins to go back to church. Her 16-year-old teenage daughter begins to go to the youth group and tells, would later tell the story of how she connected with Jesus. And now they're going to church. My question this morning, I don't believe God sent the cancer, but I believe God used that to draw her to church, to draw her to God. Why? Because the reality of it is many times in life, we forget God when things are going good. But God uses the trials the tribulations, the closed doors, the things we go through to provoke us to seek him in a greater way. And can I just say this in closing? If it serves that purpose, it is worth it. Amen. Amen. Would you stand together with me? The last reason, and I won't preach this, I'm just going to tell you what it is, is found in verse 11. So that thanksgiving may be given by the many for the grace given to us. Would you please come back? What I'd like to do is I'd like for us to put into practice the third reason or the third purpose of suffering, that God's grace might come to us and that we might give him thanks. You see, what I have learned in life and ministry, whenever I trusted God, it went good. Whenever I took things into my own own understanding or own control or own wisdom, it didn't go so well. What I do understand, even in life and ministry today, that God will allow you to go through some things that it is totally impossible for you to get out of. So that when God delivers, what happens? You've got to say, it was God. It was the Lord. I give him glory. I give him honor. Because it was God who made a way where there was no way. So this morning, whether you've experienced deliverance or comfort or grace in some area of your life, or whether you're waiting for it, I want to ask you to move forward. I want to ask you to offer thanksgiving. Let's put into practice thanksgiving for what God has done, or by faith, thanksgiving for what God will do. Amen. Let's do it. One song we're going to close with, and then we'll pray. Amen.